My Hockey Hero is proudly supported by eBay Canada. Hello, my name is Dean. I live in Burlington, Ontario, and I love hockey. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spirit change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. There's always a certain magic in the air, though, when Canada plays the Soviets. Clears it along the boards and winds up out at center ice, and Darren Lowe is there. On defense now for Team Canada. Darren Lowe was born in Toronto in 1960. He played eight games in the NHL with the Pittsburgh Penguins during the 1983-84 season and 67 games for the Canadian national team, including the 1984 Winter Olympics. I guess a moment in my life that I was extremely happy to have the opportunity that I had something that I thought would never actually happen through most of the time that I was playing hockey as a kid. After leaving the ice, he pursued a long and celebrated career coaching the men's hockey team at the University of Toronto from 1995-2017. Uh, 1984. It was in Pittsburgh, and it was probably just in warm up. Um, so that's my best recollection. I've uh, I don't know. I think I've seen that photo before, but there aren't a lot of photos because I wasn't there for a real long time. So, as a kid, Darren was spoiled with choice when he wanted to play hockey in his neighborhood. I grew up in the Riverdale neighborhood of Toronto, which is uh, Broadview Danforth. So we were really fortunate because we had uh, ice rinks at both ends of my street. We had Riverdale Park on one end and we had Withrow Park at the other end. I was probably about, I'm going to say four years old or three years old when I started skating. My dad played hockey, so he was a senior A hockey player. Not at that time. He had finished playing by the time I started skating and everything. But um, I used to go to the rink. I think my dad would be at work and my mom would take me to skate at the rink. Although I think my dad took me more often because my brother learned to skate originally with my mom all the time. And he wasn't a very good skater because my mom didn't skate much. That was probably like 1966, 1967, around then. Darren loved hockey, but success in the game took time to develop. So I played double A in Pee Wee, but I have to say that I was on the worst team in the city. We don't think we won a game. And I won't say the organization because, well, it's kind of funny because I was involved in the organization afterwards and we won a national championship when I was helping them because uh, my son was on the team. So, uh, you know, it came sort of full circle. But anyway, uh, then I went back to A hockey. And I didn't play double A until my draft year, which was midget. So I was never a talked about player in Toronto or I was a good player, um, but I wasn't a talked about player. And then I was drafted um, and I played center. Uh, then I played tier two junior A like at North York because uh, I didn't make the OHL or OHA at the time. 
And then I went to college, but that's where I changed to being a winger. And, and I probably succeeded because I changed to wing because all the good players played center and I wasn't, you know, maybe the best player at the time. And I just kept getting better. And the wing was where I belonged. His patience and devotion paid off. I mean, every kid's end goal is to play in the NHL, but it wasn't a realistic thing for me. I didn't think. And also with the Olympic team, I used to listen to the national team play on the radio. And so I thought that was really cool. And I thought, well, that may be one thing that I could do, (laughs) but in reality, it was probably like, it was a pipe dream when I was young to think that, oh, I was going to play on the national team. So um, yeah, I just kept playing because I really liked playing and I just kept getting better. And I was a you know, if there was one thing about me, I was a really good athlete. Uh, I played a lot of sports. I was good in track. And so I think my athleticism really helped me as I moved further along and then started to kind of get recognized as, oh, maybe this guy can play a little bit. So now getting noticed on the ice and approaching college age, Darren got a great offer from the United States International University in California. So they contacted me and said, Listen, we'll give you um, uh, almost a full scholarship, but we're not going to pay for your books and one other portion. I can't remember what it was. And I don't know, as I guess I was 18 years old or something, I called their bluff and I said, if you give me everything, I'll come. And within, I don't know, a few hours, I was working at a Thrifty's jeans store on Young Street. I got a call. They said, we'll give you everything. I said, okay, I guess I'm coming. So, so I went and uh, that's, that's how I got to USIU. And it was a great experience in the sense that I lived in California. I was away from home. um, So I had to grow up a little bit. We were playing NCAA division one teams because we were an independent team and we were really successful and I was really successful. Now enjoying life and college in the United States, Canada came calling. The Olympic team was looking for fresh talent. I got invited to a camp in uh, Montreal, and this was for all of Eastern Canada, and there's 50 players there. And then there was a second camp that was held in Winnipeg with 50 players. Had a fairly good camp, but I, I do remember a couple of moments there where we went, I think we went to Sweden for our initial training and they brought 25 of us to Sweden and I scored the very first goal of that entire season but there was never a moment where I thought I'm on the team except for the fact that I thought I played quite well and and I wasn't going to get cut but that's just my own stupidity no (laughs) my own confidence in myself to think I'm gonna I'll make this so that's what happened Stadium, a crowd of more than 50,000 people waits for the flame and for the arrival of the athletes of 49 nations. We even have snow in the downtown area today and plenty more in the mountains. Entering the stadium now. Yeah, Olympics were in Sarajevo. 
so Yugoslavia, which doesn't exist anymore. And there is no experience like walking into a stadium with 70,000 people screaming and you're representing Canada. So that was really cool. The three or four hours standing out in the freezing cold in the parking lot beforehand, wasn't that great? <laughs> One of the things that stands out is, um, and this is sort of the same thing that happens, I think, when you play in your first game in the NHL or you play in the NHL, like you look across and you see like the national team of Sweden, they're wearing those jerseys and you're like, okay, they just look like another hockey team though, but this is like real. I mean, we're playing the Russians and yeah, they got the CCP on the front. So that was always something that I thought about. I thought, you know, I'm playing against a national team from another country, but it's just another group of hockey players. Um, but this is real, like, you know, this is the national team of that country. So, you know, that was one thing that I took away from it. And this game against the Soviet Union, Bernie Pascal is here with me. In this particular game, Bernie, uh, the odds are very heavy on the Soviets. Well, any time, right, Lloyd, any time you play the Soviets, uh, they've got awesome power. And uh, so far here at the Olympic Games, they've outscored the opposition 42 to 5. And uh, Canada... Of course, with one loss, they've scored 24 goals and given up 10. To be on the team meant peak fitness was a requirement, especially with the famous Russian team they'd face. And I remember we had to run five miles in 20 minutes. And I was able to do that as, as were most of the guys there. And so the team was quite fit. And they used to always preach to us that, you know, from a skill perspective, we're, we're not going to be as good as, you know, Makarov, Krutov, Larianov, those world-class guys. But from a fitness perspective, we might be able to somewhat match them or we'd have to be in better shape. So I think that was a big, big part of it. But we played so many games that year. We traveled so much, but it was tough. I think we played 75 games and five of them were in Calgary where we were based out of and 70 were on the road. Like it just wasn't easy. In the end, against tough competition, Darren's team just missed out on a medal. Better than expected tournament in, in some ways because uh, remembering that the the Czechs and you know, they were Czechoslovakia at the time and the Russians were basically professional teams that none of their players were in the NHL at the time. And Sweden, same type of thing. And Finland, although they weren't as strong. I, I guess the one, you're always an Olympian, but to be a, a medalist at the Olympics, and we were in the game to win a medal, and it's a team that we had beaten a number of times, and it just wasn't our day. And we lost 2 we nothing. Lost so I guess the heartbreak of not getting an Olympic medal and but you know you're in the olympics so i i don't think that you're sort of hard done by to say well i didn't win a medal but that would be one thing that i would say geez that would be so cool to have that bronze medal because that's what we played for and <laughs> my friends actually used to make fun of me like oh you're the guy that didn't win a medal <laughs> If you're enjoying My Hockey Hero and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and feeling passions. 
Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. Darren had proven himself time and time again, and the NHL was calling. My opportunity was to either sign with New Jersey or to sign with Pittsburgh. And um, they were both, and it's kind of funny to think about it now, they were both battling for Lemieux. So they were battling for the bottom. So it was kind of like, well, they're signing me, but they're battling for the bottom. So it's just, I'm not that good. <laughs> and that's a joke that also travels amongst my friends that, you know, I, Mario Lemieux ended up in Pittsburgh because of me. So um, the one thing that did happen, though, was they guaranteed me NHL games and New Jersey. And hindsight, you know, had I gone there, they won the Calder Cup. And then many of those players, Bruce Driver included, uh, went on to win the Stanley Cup with New Jersey. And as soon as he began play for the Penguins, he suddenly found himself coming face to face with players he idolized. One of my childhood heroes in the NHL, believe it or not, was Tiger Williams. And uh, he played for the Leafs. I just like, and it wasn't because of the fighting, because I I wasn't a player that was a fighter, but he, he just brought so much energy and he was such an entertainer. And so who do I line up against in my very first second? When I came on the ice, there was a, a round of applause. But in Pittsburgh, the team was so terrible that there was probably like 6,000 people there. And he says to me, in any other building, that's a standing ovation. <laughs> so that was my first second in the NHL against sort of my boyhood one of my idols as a kid and just because of his energy like I love Bobby Orr and guys like that but but Tiger Williams was right up there and and here I skate out on the ice and I line up against him and I'm like oh my god it's Tiger Williams and that's what he said that game was full of many firsts for Darren but also some last two I I got an assist in that game um I got a I scored a goal in my last game and again like everybody's got a joke like the I think the trainer said, uh, this will be a trivia question. Who scored their first and last goal in the same game <laughs> in the NHL? <laughs> Darren went on to play minor league hockey across the United States and even had a stint in Austria and Finland, but eventually decided on a new path. Uh, you know, I was going to pursue a career as a physical and health education teacher. So I, I taught uh, my first teaching job was history. Scarborough Board of Education. It was midway through the year, like I, I got hired second term. So I was a history teacher, high school history teacher. And I was like, man, like, you know, it's nobody cares who you are now. <laughs> Nobody's asking you for your autograph. They have no idea who you are or where you've been. Just do your job. And so I did that for the, the second part of that year. And then the next year I got hired on full time. I was a... I worked at a school for special needs. It's actually where my, my, my wife. And um, then the next year I got on as a physical and health education teacher. But little did he know that a whole new adventure awaited him as a coach. I was an assistant coach at, uh, well, we call it TMU now, but Ryerson. 
and while I was teaching, um, and I kind of got the bug to say, yeah, wanted wanted to wanted to coach, but it's not easy to get a full time university coaching job. So I did it kind of on the side while I was teaching. While Paul Titanic at U of T is an assistant, and he used to call me. I think the first two years I was doing that, and this is all during the time I was teaching. He called me in May, and I thought he was calling me to say like, I you're not coaching with me anymore. You got to find somewhere else to coach. But what he was calling me about was saying, you need to go and be a head coach somewhere, but you can come back and be the assistant coach here if you want. So I did that for two or three years. And then he called me one time and I'll never forget. I was sound asleep on the couch and phone rang as per usual in May or whatever he used to call me. And he says, you know, you got to become a full-time head coach. And I said, well, yeah, but, and he goes, I'm leaving U of T. I'm going to you know, spend time more, more time with my kids and coach my son. And I'm recommending that you get the job. So I took the job, but again, he'll tell you, I called him probably not every day, but probably every second day through that first year. Like, what do I do? What do I do with this? What do I do? He was great. And he's like a lifelong friend, right? He coached me. I coached with him and he was kind of my mentor as far as, you know, what do I do in this situation? You know, there was a funny moment at Ryerson. I, the first year that I was a coach, uh, we didn't win a game. And that year was the 25th anniversary or something. I don't know, or 20th anniversary of the undefeated team I played with at U of T. So here I am, going to celebrate an undefeated OUA season and I'm coaching on a team that did not win a game. But as he settled into the head coach role, Darren became a legend. I coached for uh, 22 years as the head coach. I hope to think that like at, at, we didn't always have the best players, but we always had really hardworking teams and really uh, like teams that played systematic good defensive hockey and we had a lot of success because of that and we had great guys and we had like great student athletes and so it, it was a really good experience I would say that the last couple of years were tough like I never felt like I was going to work ever when I played hockey and when I coached hockey and now looking back Darren feels passionately that hockey should be accessible to all one thing is education uh, for for everybody so that you know, when we're talking about education, we're talking about educating people about diversity. And, you know, you hear it all the time. People saying like, everyone is welcome. Hockey is for everyone. But, you know, do all people believe that? I, I don't know. I'm not in their skin, but I would think that that's, that's one thing that has to happen. I, I think that the unfortunate part is, and I, I teach a course at the university, hockey and Canadian culture. And, you know, we, we've talked about this, that it's an elitist sport. And so lots of people and not just people of color, but lots of people are choosing not to play because they can't afford it. And starting programs uh, in order for people to afford to play this expensive game uh, it would be something that, you know, would help because there are like, there are so many phenomenal athletes that could play hockey, like, but they're playing other sports because they can't afford to play hockey. And unfortunately, even in our society, uh, you know, unless there are scholarships, all the other sports are going the same way. Like, you know, if you play rap basketball, you, you may go to a prep school and you may have to spend, like my daughter played soccer, play soccer. 
and it's not cheap. She played volleyball. It's not cheap, you know, and, and, and so I think that somehow finding a way, if we're talking about people of all different ethnicities and economic backgrounds to be able to, to be more visible in hockey, um, you know, there has to be opportunity somewhere. And, you know, I, I just think there's not enough opportunity because of the financial drawbacks in it, but it happens in so many other sports. It's not just hockey. Lastly, as an experienced player and coach, he has some advice for the young players of today. Try not to get sucked into the, you have to play all year. Try to play other sports to become an athlete first. When you're at the rink, you have to be 100% invested in playing hockey. When you're away from the rink, do something else so that it's not hockey, hockey, hockey all the time. I think that that would be, you know, when we talk about this as student athletes, when you're in the classroom, you are a student. And when you are on the ice or on the field or on the court, you are an athlete. And so you give 100% or everything you've got in that moment. You know, there's going to be studies now that come out that like kids have, I have hip problems now, but there's kids that are 15 years old that have hip problems because they're using the same muscles all the time and they're not using their other muscles. So that, that would be my advice to, and, and to just enjoy it. Uh, it, it's hard for kids to enjoy playing hockey now. The pressure, you know, the draft at 15. Who enjoys that year? You know, it's, it, you got it. I just loved going. I didn't have to, I wasn't worried about it because I didn't think I was, like, I didn't think anybody was interested in me. So I could just go play. And, and maybe that's my good fortune, right? But you got to enjoy it. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey. By lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, but would like to dive deeper, then check out our extended version of this interview at Recognize, Black Hockey Heroes of the NHL. You can click on the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. You can see the cards of the players in my collection at blackhockeycards.com. This has been a Podstarter production. production.